0: Thank you. Um, Okay, a few more announcements. Um, Just announcing it again for those of you who weren't here last week. Josh Ziegler was baptized last week. And uh, once again, thank you to everyone that helped out with Strong and Courageous. It was a super successful weekend, so thank you guys very much. Uh, We have our next congregational midweek. This upcoming Wednesday, all right? Yeah, uh, we're continuing our series "Why," and uh, this Wednesday we're going to be talking about why church. All right, so we're going to be looking at the "whys" behind church. And uh, so, come on now, We're going to start at seven thirty again, like we did last week. Okay, so uh, be ready, come prepared, and uh, looking forward to that. Also, this Friday for the adult ministry outside of campus, beyond campus ministry. Uh, we're having our cookout and kickball over at Broken Arrow Park. 6? 6? 6.30? 6.30. Okay, and there's invites out there. Uh, bring your friends out. Bring your family. It's going to be a blast, and it's going to be hilarious. So I'm looking forward to just spending time together. Uh, and then I'd like to go ahead and call the Salmon family up. Um, this is their last Sunday with us, and so we're going to pray over them before we get into the world. Guys, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come before you. Um, oh, you know, so many mixed emotions. God, thank you so much for the salmons and for everything that they have meant to this congregation over the last several years. God, their impact. Their fingerprint is all over this church and it will be felt for decades to come. God, I pray that you would guide them as they move on. God, I pray that you would use them uh, in, in the same ways you used them here to really build up the church there in Indiana. And uh, God, strengthen them, watch over their family. Uh, please keep them safe from harm's way. God, please surround them with angels, protect them. And, uh, God, we're sad to see him go, but, God, we're just so grateful for the time that we've had with them. Strengthen them, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Guys, make sure to uh, love up on the salmons. Encourage them. Okay. Um, guys, we're starting our series on John. And uh, I'm really excited for this. I'm just going to go ahead and pull up here. Um, What we're going to be doing is we're going to be, over the next few weeks, looking at uh, the life and one of the letters of the Apostle John. And not John the Baptist, John the Apostle. I know that can be confusing. But, uh, you know, before we get into his letters, and we're specifically going to be studying out the, the letter of 1 John, you know, his first epistle... Uh, We're going to look at his life because it's important to know who John was. It's important to know his character. It's important to know his background because it flavors his writings. It flavors why he wrote the things he did, how he wrote the things he did. And so it's important to know who he was. And that's what we're going to look at today. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at several stories about John to get to know who he was. And there's a few lessons that I think we're going to take away from his life and his journey. Uh, And what we're going to do is we're going to be looking in the other gospel accounts, right? If you you really want to get to know somebody, you don't go ask them about them. You go ask their best friends about them, right? So that's what we're going to do. We're not going to look in the book of John to learn about who John was. We're going to look in the other gospels and see what his friends have to say about him because that's really how we're going to learn who he was. Um, but what do we know about John? Next slide, please. You know we, know, we know a few things about him, okay? We know that he was a son of Zebedee. We know that his brother was James, who was also an apostle. Okay, John had a handful of nicknames throughout his life. He was known as a, one of the sons of thunder, right? That's an interesting nickname. He was known as, he, he referred to himself As the disciple whom Jesus loved. We're going to get into that. (laughs) And at the end of his life, when it was all said and done, he was known as the apostle of love. And John was very, very close to Jesus. Arguably as close to Jesus as anybody. He was one of the first to follow Jesus. He was one of only three people that Jesus included in several different miracles. At the Last Supper, he was kind of chilling by Jesus' side there, right? And although he fled at first, John was very close by when Jesus was hanging on the cross. Jesus entrusted the care of his mother to John. He was the first to recognize Jesus after he returned in the miraculous catch of fish. And like I said, he's known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we'll get into that. So he was very, very close to Jesus. He had a very close bond, a very close relationship. John also played a key role in the beginning of the church, and we see that at the first part of the book of Acts. But toward the end of John's life, John was in pretty rough shape. Um, John was the last remaining apostle. So, you've got to think about that, guys. That means he lived to see all his other best friends, including his brother, die. Most of them being martyred. He lived through intense persecution by the Romans. He was imprisoned, he was beaten. It's believed that he was boiled and then exiled to the island of Patmos. And then he was brought back after exile, and he finished his years, it's believed, in Ephesus, where he did most of his writing. And so by that time, John was in pretty rough shape, probably in his late 80s, and had lived a long life. You know, and it's said that every day, John's disciples would go to his house, they'd carry him to where the church was, They'd sit him there to hear him teach. And every day he'd say, children, love one another. And then they'd carry him back. And then every day, the same thing. And after a while, his disciples kind of got, John, why 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 do you say this every day? He said, because it's the Lord's command. And if this alone were done, it would be enough. And at the end of his life, he was known as the Apostle of Love. And you see that all throughout his letters, all throughout his writings. But what's very interesting and what we're going to look at specifically today is how John went from one of the Sons of Thunder to the Apostle of Love. And we're going to look at that transformation. That's what we're going to focus on today today. And we're going to look at a few takeaways that we want to learn from his trans- transformation, okay? What we, want to, what we want to focus on is that it's necessary for us to change and grow. And the magnitude of Jesus' love, patience, and belief in us. Amen? Turn over to Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 18. We're going to start just looking at some different stories and learning a little bit about who John was. Matthew chapter 4. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people at once They left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Guys, there's something we've got to understand about John. John was a wholehearted dude. At this stage in his life, he was somewhere in his young to mid-twenties. Young guy, spunky guy, feisty guy, and he did everything with his entire heart. So much so that in an instant, he was willing to leave his career and his family to follow Jesus. That's the type of wholeheartedness that was in John's character. He left his dad in the boat. Guys, you know, at this point, there had been... Rumors that Jesus was the Messiah, so he's walking around. Jesus says, Come follow me. See, Dad, I'm out. Right? Just leaves him there in the boat. I kind of picture the boat kind of rocking. Their dad's just kind of like, whoa, and they're gone. They up and left. Their whole livelihood. And I think this is one of the reasons that Jesus chose John. Because when he looked at him, he saw that wholeheartedness in his character. This guy. Will run through a brick wall in order to follow me. Right. You know, does Jesus see that in you? Does Jesus, when He looks at you, when He's looking around for His people, He looks into your heart? Does He see that wholeheartedness in there? This guy will give up anything in an instant to come follow. I think that's a special quality that John had, and a quality that we need to imitate. Amen? In, in John 20, we're going to see kind of another glimpse of this wholehearted, 100-mile-an-hour feistiness about John. And I'm putting all the scriptures on here because we're going to be jumping around, so uh, that, that may help you. Uh, John 20, starting in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, John, that's John, the one that Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. <laughs> He bent over. He looked at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen there. You know, this is kind of a funny story that tells a lot about John. Right? Remember this. He was at the end of his life when he wrote this, when he wrote his gospel account. So if he's in his early 20s here and he wrote... His gospel account when he was maybe in his 80s, that means 60 years had gone by. And as he's thinking back to his time following Jesus and he's writing down different stories that he remembers, he just so happens to include the story when he outran Peter to the tomb, right? That says something about John. For all eternity, I want the entire world to know that I beat Peter in a race, all right? In case there was any debate. And I love how he writes it. We started out to the tomb, and the other, you know, he doesn't refer to himself, the other disciple, you know, uh, ran there and beat Peter. And then he, like, tells the rest of the story. And I was looking there and the strips of linen, and the two months... Oh, and then in comes Peter, like gasping for air, looking at him. This is who John was. He was this wholehearted, you know, gritty, kind of feisty, 20-something-year-old kid. But much like all of us, our strengths can oftentimes be our weaknesses, can't they? And that's what we... Start to see here from John as we continue to read on. Look in Mark chapter 9. Because while John was so wholehearted, and he really would, I mean, run through a brick wall to follow Jesus, he also had this other side of his character this kind of ugly side. And it was competitive, it was selfishly ambitious. And we see it all throughout his early stages of his life. Look at Mark 9, verse 33. They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone... Would be first. He must be last of all and servant of all. You know, once again, kind of a funny scene here in my mind. You know, it's like they're walking along, they get to confirm, they get into this house, and, you know, I don't know what Jesus is doing. Maybe he's relaxing, maybe he's preparing dinner. You know, the disciples are all there, and he's like, oh, yeah, I was going to ask you guys about this earlier. What were you guys arguing about back there? I kind of, you know, and all the disciples are, they keep quiet. Right? Because they knew they knew what they were arguing about. They probably knew Jesus heard them, but I just picture them all just kind of like, oh, you know, nothing. We were just talking about some stuff, and like, don't you say anything, right? Don't tell them what we were talking about. And they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. <laughs> we read that over and over again in the scriptures. I don't know if we let it sink in about how worldly and selfish of an argument that is. Literally arguing, walking behind Jesus about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Now, look in Mark 10. Very shortly after, let's look and see a little more about John because this is where that competitiveness, that wholeheartedness starts to go from I don't know, maybe kind of funny to, yeah, this this is serious. Right? Jesus had just instructed these guys. Guys, it's not about who's the greatest. It's about who's going to be the servant. Right? Jesus teaches them. He disciples them. (coughs) Shortly after, Mark 10, 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Right after Jesus disciples all the 12 on Guys, stop worrying about who's going to be the greatest and be a servant. What happens? John comes running up. Hey, Jesus. Guys, think about this. Think about the type of request this is. Jesus, I want you to do whatever I want. I want you to put me at your right hand when the kingdom comes. That takes... A little bit of boldness, right? What, what does that say about John's character that he was comfortable enough doing that? Hey, magic genie, answer my wishes. I want to be at your right hand in all your glory when the kingdom comes. You've got to imagine Jesus just, guys. Amen. I, you know, in, in another account, they actually brought their mom with them. Right? Kind of like a pity move to try to, I don't know, work Jesus a little bit here. They got their mom to, like, think of what was in John's nature to care enough to get his mom to come up and kind of demand from Jesus that he be his right-hand guy. John was wholehearted in following Jesus, but the only thing he cared more about was himself. If you read on, it shows how the other disciples, when they heard about this, they were furious. John cared more about himself than anybody else. He was willing to step over all of his friends just to improve his own position. John was extremely selfishly ambitious. Like I said, our strengths can be our weakness. So that same wholehearted, 100-mile-an-hour ambition for Jesus, there was also this ugly, selfish side of him. And when you look in Luke 9, I think we see a pretty ugly side of John here. I'm not trying to just throw John under the bus, but like I said, we've got to know who he was. 9 51 as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along FYI when the disciples James and John saw this they asked Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Jesus turned and rebuked them. You know, when I read this story, I don't really know how to respond. Right? There's part of me that kind of like shakes my head because this is just such an irrational response. And then there's part of me that just overlooks it because I don't really know what I'm reading. And then there's part of me that's kind of like, oh, John. But... You've got to look at this for what it is. This was right before Jesus was going to be put on the cross. This was near the end of Jesus' ministry. They're trying to go through Samaria. The Samaritans kind of annoy John. And what is his instinct? Jesus, do you want me to murder an entire village in the name of God? That's how we have to read this thing. That was was, was James and John's instinct. These guys are annoying me. Jesus, do you want me to wipe out and destroy this entire village? These Samaritans. Gosh, John had this overly intense, overly competitive, irritable, harsh character about it. You know, it makes sense why he was given the nickname a Son of Thunder. That's not like a cool, oh man, Son of Thunder. That's like a. You guys are pretty harsh. You guys are pretty loud. You guys are pretty overbearing. So much so that they were willing to kill an entire village because a couple people annoyed them. And I, I've got to imagine Jesus here, right? It says he turns and rebukes them i got to imagine Jesus sitting there just like, these are the guys that are going to lead my people when we're being tortured by the Romans, and they've got to teach the church how to love their enemies and forgive when people mistreat you. And this guy wants to murder a village because they did something annoying. And he's, on his way to, he's on his way to be crucified. You've got to picture Jesus here just like, have I wasted the last three years of my life pouring into the wrong guys? I don't think these guys are ever going to get it. And we see this, this, this ugly character of John. And so we're sitting here and it's like, how did this guy go from this to the apostle of love? Look in John 13. This is a passage we're going to look at in John John 13, starting in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Look in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes. He returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'll look at a couple of questions here when we look at this scripture. Two questions. Why did Jesus wash his disciples' feet? The second question, why was John the only one to include this story in his gospel account? First question, why did Jesus wash his disciples' feet? Well, because Jesus was humble and he loved and he was willing to take on a servant's job. Yes. But I don't think that's that grasps the full situation here. I think the most appropriate answer to this question, why did Jesus wash his disciples' feet, I think the answer is because nobody else would. Let's paint the picture here a little bit. Because it's very interesting. If you read Luke's account of the same story, the Last Supper, he doesn't include that Jesus washed their feet. But what he does talk about is in the middle of this Last Supper, the disciples got into another argument about who was going to be the greatest. The Last Supper, Jesus is explaining, hey, here's my body, here's my blood, do this in remembrance of me. And they go into an argument. Hey, after Jesus is gone, who's going to be the greatest? And it's also interesting that it says the meal was in progress. Usually when you walked into somebody's house, there's a servant there that washed your feet as you were coming in. So this kind of implies that there was not a servant there to wash the feet. So they get in there, and I picture Jesus. All right. been trying to get these guys to be loving servants for the last three years. All they do is argue about who's going to be the greatest. There's no servant here to wash our feet. Let's see what they do. I see him waiting around, waiting around, waiting around. The meal starts. It's also interesting, John was sitting closest to Jesus. I don't think that's because John and Jesus had this really close buddy-buddy relationship. I think it's because John was trying to suck up to Jesus to make sure that he was the best before he was gone. Hey guys, watch out. I'm sitting next to Jesus, right? And he's laying on him, and Jesus is just like, dude, give, oh my gosh, give off of get some, word, get some the to eat here. Right? And the meal's in progress, and Jesus, I just I, I, I sense this disappointment. Here we go again, another argument about who's gonna be the greatest. And I see Jesus interrupting this argument by getting up, going over and getting a bowl of water, taking off his cloak, and he starts washing their feet. And I can just imagine the tone in the room was just silent. Which comes to the next question, why was John the only one to include this story? I think that this was the moment when it clicked for John. I picture John in an argument trying to suck up to Jesus, sit super close to him, arguing about who's going to be the greatest, and Jesus bends down and starts washing his feet. And I think that's when it clicked. Whoa. This is the king. This is the king of kings. This is the Messiah. I'm sitting here arguing about being the greatest, and he's Washing my nasty feet. I think this is when it clicked for John. I think mean, this was the beginning of when John finally got it and started going from the son of thunder to the apostle of love. And I think as he's writing his gospel account late in his life, 80 year old, broken, bruised, beaten up guy, and he's remembering back his time with Jesus. The thing that stuck out as much as anything else was I remember that time we were all arguing about being the greatest, and Jesus of all people came around and washed our feet. And I felt like a complete idiot. And I think that that moment was the turning point for John. You know, when we see this transformation, Right? We see this transformation of John. This harsh, wholehearted, competitive, selfish guy. <clears throat> Just arguing about being the greatest all the time. Willing to kill an entire village of people because he was annoyed with them. Just this intense guy, this son of thunder. Over time, softening and becoming a completely different person. And when you look at this... Transformation, guys, there's a couple things that we've got to learn. And one, we all have to change and grow. John could not stay the same. There's no way God could have used John to do the things that he used him to do if John would have just stayed in the same spot. Part of following Jesus is changing, guys. Well, this is just who I am. That's just my nature. That's just my character. Could you imagine if that's what John had said? Jesus, this is just who I am, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm a little harsh. I'm a little selfish. I'm a little competitive. Yeah, I've thought about killing people at times because I get annoyed at them really easily. But I also left you in an instant, and that's that's just who I am. That's not good enough. That's not the right answer. Guys, if you are deciding to follow Jesus You have to be willing to change. It's not good enough to just say, that's just how I am. No, we've got to be willing to change. You have to be open to becoming a different person than who you are. That means the ways you think have to change. The things you prioritize have to change. The way you treat other people has to change. Your character has to change. We have to be willing and open to changing and growing. It's not good to just stay in the same spot. Now, here's the great news. It doesn't matter where you're at. You can change. You can change. If John can change, can go from this ugly character to look at what everything God used him to do throughout the rest of the Bible, you can change too. Now, change is not fun. It's not easy. Right? Uh, Brett preached last week and referred to Romans 5, where it talks about how our characters develop through difficulty, and we have to persevere through that. Change is not easy. Even this was a process of a couple years you just have to be willing to actually change? And this is what I love about the story of John more than anything else. And that's look at the patience of Jesus throughout this whole thing. Yes, Jesus probably rebuked the face off of John a few times, right? And we see that. I picture him when he's like, hey, Jesus, do you want me to call down fire and burn down this entire village? I picture Jesus just rebuking just. Right? Right? But, that I doesn't mean Jesus was impatient with him. Jesus never gave up on John. And I've got to imagine, the last supper, he's arguing, I, I've got to imagine Jesus just being like, well, these last three years were a complete waste. Right? But throughout that whole time, he never said, you know what? Forget you guys. You guys aren't getting it. I'm done. I'm picking a new group of 12. Right? Can't take it anymore. You guys just aren't getting it. Get out. He never quit on John through some of the ugliest stuff. Guys, this should give us so much hope and encouragement and peace. And it doesn't matter how ugly it is in your life right now. Number one, you can change if you're willing to, but God is not done with you. God is not through with you. God's not going to just throw you aside and pick a new one, right? You can change if you're willing to. And Jesus is not done with you. Amen? Amen. So guys, as we move forward, let's focus on that one. You've got to be willing to change and grow. But gosh, that should fill us with so much encouragement that even in our ugliest times, Jesus is not done with us. He still believes in us. Amen? Amen. And so what we're going to do Moving forward, the next couple weeks, is we're going to be looking at the book of First John. And, and I love this book because it's so relevant. It's so relevant. And that's what I've entitled First John, a letter of clarity in a world of religious confusion. Because what was going on with the church is there were so many different teachings that it was starting to confuse the church about what is right. Well, I mean, they're saying this and they're saying this. And he's saying this, and are we, are we doing the right thing? Like, I'm kind of confused here because he said, so are we actually saved? Are we, are we on the right track here? And so John writes the church a letter <coughs> giving them three very clear <coughs> tests. He says, you guys are doing the right thing. And all these other confusing teachings, here's a little test. Boom, boom, boom. They've got to have all three of these things in it, or else they're false. And so that's what we're going to look at. And it's super exciting. We're looking at we're going to be talking about love. We're going to be talking about truth and sin. And there's so there's so much in this short little letter. But I'm really excited because I think it's really going to equip us as a church. In a world filled with different teachings and religious confusion, it's going to help us be confident in what's right. And I think it's going to grow our love for God's word and studying it out. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer and we'll close out with one more song. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, thank you for how patient you are with us. God, thank you that through... The ugliness of our characters that you have not given up on us, that you haven't cast us aside, that you still believe in us. And God, looking at the transformation of John from the son of thunder to this apostle of love, God, it gives us all hope. It gives us all inspiration. And God, I pray that each and every one of us would be willing to change, that we would be willing to have our lives and our characters transformed. God, thank you for how patient you are with us. I pray that as we continue to study out the book of 1 John, that it would provide us so much clarity and confidence in this world of religious confusion. God, we love you. We love your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.